you desire to attend Bible college or seminary, but know that it would be incredibly difficult to uproot your family and move somewhere? Maybe you desire to attend seminary, but you don't want to leave your local congregation. Let me tell you about my seminary, Whitfield Theological Seminary. Whitfield is a conservative, confessional, classical, reformed seminary who wants to come alongside congregations and assist them in raising up a pastor. The training of a minister should be done alongside of a congregation. Whitfield offers online classes so that you can fulfill your calling without having to move your family or abandon your church. Go check them out at www.reformed.info. That is www.reformed.info. Tell them you heard about them on The Daily Brew. We at The Daily Brew take the Bible and the study of it very seriously. Have you ever wondered where we or our special guests go when we want to dive into God's Word more deeply? We go to Logos, the best Bible software available. From in-depth word studies in the original languages to commentaries from scholars, both new and old. There are lexicons and grammars and sermons and collected works of heroes of the faith. And even ancient texts for the serious Bible students. Never before has so many great tools been bundled together into one software. To learn more about this incredible ministry, call 888-390-7341. That's 888-390-7341. While you're there, go ahead and tell them that you heard about this incredible software on The Daily Brew. Hey guys, let me tell you about our newest partner, the Dwell Bible app. Now, I'm confident you've listened to many audio Bibles growing up. Maybe it was on CDs, or maybe if you're a little bit older, it was on cassettes. Well, the Dwell Bible app really surpasses all of those, and here's why. So, maybe you were looking for a way that you can listen to the Bible in a year, and you want to make it all the way through the Bible in a year. Well, they have a plan for that in the Dwell Bible app. Not only do they have a plan for reading through the Bible in a year, but there's all kinds of other plans as well, and there's also thematic plans. So let's say maybe you're going through an issue like anxiety, and you're like, what does the Bible say about anxiety? And you want to listen to all these key verses on this particular theme. Well, the Dwell Bible app has themes that are set for that. Not only do they have themes, but they also have a whole list of amazing voices that you can listen to. I'm currently listening to a man named David who has an amazing accent read through the book of Jeremiah. Not only do they have multiple voices, but you also can couple it with background music like ambient background or maybe piano and cello. Um, Never before has it been so enjoyable to listen to the Bible. Let me tell you finally about the mission statement of this group. The Dwell Bible app seeks to make the Bible the soundtrack of your life. Go and check them out at dwellapp.io. That's dwellapp.io. This is The Daily Brew.
is The Daily Brew. I'm host Adam Holland. I have with me Alyssa Childers. Uh, thank you so much uh, for taking time to join the call. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. She has a new book out called Another Gospel. Um, a lifelong Christian seeks truth in response to uh, progressive Christianity. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to um, and all the energy devoted to writing this book. Um, it's definitely a wake-up call to American Christianity. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's a labor of love, but I'm I'm so glad just to for God's faithfulness to bring me through what He brought me through to actualize this book. It's been it's been quite a ride. Mm. So, why did you think in in light of everything in it? Why did you think it was important? Uh, so, just first question would be: Why do you think it's important uh, for this book to be written uh, during this time? Well, the main reason is because, and we can probably get into this uh, in a bit if you'd like to, but I went through my own time of pretty profound doubt and even some deconstruction as a result of being in a church that ended up going into progressive Christianity. And when I was struggling, when I was uh, just doubting everything I'd ever believed about my faith and about God and Jesus, I couldn't find any resources that directly addressed this movement of progressive Christianity. Now, I, I discovered apologetics, which was really helpful to me because, uh, interestingly, many of the same claims that progressive Christians make are the same ones atheists make. And so the apologists who are answering the atheists were able to help answer my questions. But I wasn't able to find cohesive resources that were analyzing the movement and saying, look, here's what they believe, here's how to answer it, here's here's some truth for you to chew on. And so uh, when I first started studying apologetics, I didn't think that I would end up writing a book. I wasn't even thinking about that or blogging or anything. But it kind of became clear to me after a while, there are not any resources on this, and somebody just needs to to step up and do it. So I think uh, just through a series of real providential doors opening for me, I think the Lord led me to do it. And so I did, and I'm, I'm glad I did, because I'm hoping to give the church a resource uh, to identify the red flags that they have when they're listening to progressive Christian leaders, and when maybe even when it's coming from their own pulpits, they can recognize those things and then have uh, some kind of an answer for what they're, they're recognizing as wrong. Mm, absolutely. Uh, initially, early on in Bible college, I was an apologetics major, and then now in, I, I teach in a private Christian school as well, and now teaching apologetics, uh, I find myself finding not many resources that are on the lay level in regards to um, just rich um, apologetic content. And I was blessed to have uh, just some of my spiritual heroes uh, invest in me in this area of apologetics as well. So um, I, I know exactly what you're referring to. Just not many, there's not many good resources out there, especially for uh, those on the lay level who haven't really gotten into, you know, like the four horsemen of atheism or anything of that nature. So. Uh, right. For, for right. Putting it down. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so true because it's like I could I could find maybe somebody had reviewed a Rob Bell book or something like that, but there just wasn't just an overview of the movement that I was really able to, to discover. Absolutely. Um, speaking of politics, who are some of, uh, that was one of the questions I actually going to say towards the end, but uh, who are some of the guys uh, or girls in apologetics that have uh, influenced you? Well, probably the most influential are guys like Frank Turek and Jay Warner Wallace and Greg Kokel, 
Brett Kunkel, uh, some of these books that I found early on that were written for the lay-level apologetics were so helpful, and they were such a springboard to get me to dive deeper. In fact, I remember reading Frank Turk's I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and it just opened up a whole world of all kinds of different information. So then I started reading books that were specifically written about, say, one chapter in that book, and then diving into scholarship and uh, reading the scholars. And it was, uh, so yeah, those guys were, were definitely lifeboats when I felt like I was drowning in doubt, uh, lifeboats that God sent to me to, to help answer a lot of my questions. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm real thankful for, for those guys. Mm. Amen. Um, another question we had is, uh, what are some of, and within the book, I know you address uh, many of these, but what are some of the uh, modern-day attacks uh, or challenges to the gospel um, that we find within this uh, progressive Christianity? Well, it's, it, that's an interesting question because I think a lot of people, when they're thinking about progressive Christianity, they think, well, maybe it's just people who are changing their mind on some political issues, or maybe they're uh, broadening their horizons on some social issues. But I think what a lot of people aren't aware of, especially Christians in the evangelical church, they're not aware that progressive Christians certainly are shifting their views on, on political issues and social issues. But at the fundamental core level of what defines Christianity and the core doctrines that have held Christianity together, made it unique in the world for 2,000 years, these are the things that they're changing their minds on as well. So we're talking about things like the virgin birth, the physical resurrection of Jesus, the atonement. Progressive Christians, largely speaking, don't affirm substitutionary atonement. In other words, the idea that what Jesus accomplished on the cross, certainly in the Bible, there's tons of language, different metaphors and motifs that are used to describe what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And we affirm, you know, we want to affirm all of that. But this one particular uh, metaphor that the Bible uses in regards to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross being a sacrifice, being sacrificial, to where there was some kind of exchange that happened on the cross where Jesus took our place, paid the price for our sin, to reconcile us to God. This is a view that is roundly rejected in the progressive Christian church. In fact, very often you'll hear it referred to as something like divine abuse or cosmic child abuse, the idea that God the Father would require the blood sacrifice of his only son. In the mind of progressive Christian, this implicates the character of God. It makes God into an immoral being, and so they reject that uh, element of Jesus atoning sacrifice on the cross. And so it, these are these are core gospel issues that, that are going to inform who you think God is, who you think you are, uh, what what you think you are, and what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with you. The major worldview questions, they are at odds with historic Christianity. Absolutely. And I think, too, just piggybacking on something you said, I think one of the dangers that we have within the church is that it's not always that outspokenly clear as you as you've articulated is that sometimes it's small progressive steps as the, in the title um, as as we call it progressive Christianity it's small progressive steps into this position to where at first it doesn't seem as questionable but slowly um, the gospel starts getting challenged um, and you slowly yeah. start hearing um, sin is not as prevalent within a sermon or um, and therefore the good news is no longer good because we need the bad news in order to hear the good news. Um, so sometimes yeah. it's more 
subtle than it is um, outspoken, but it progressively gets to the point where um, it almost it's a, it's another gospel. You know, that's so well put because that is the thing. It's hard to spot sometimes because progressive Christians aren't just going to step into the pulpit and say, hey, we don't think the Bible's the Word of God. They're not going to say it like that. And very often it is, like you said, it's a progression. Progressive Christianity is progressing away from Orthodox historic Christianity. And so that's going to be a slow drift. It's not always going to sound very obvious. And so... I think you're absolutely right. One perfect example of this would be in the church um, that I was in where my faith was challenged. I would listen to the pastor's sermons on Sunday mornings, and until I had been a part of a smaller kind of a study and discussion group where he was more honest about what he was changing his views on, I would listen to his sermons on Sunday, and all of the words he said would go through this filter of what I thought we, were, we had in common. So I thought we both believed that humans were sinners and that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin to reconcile us to God. I thought he believed that Jesus was raised from the dead physically and that Jesus was God. And so everything he would say about Scripture, I would filter through that lens, but only to find out later that he didn't affirm all of those things. And so sometimes he would use biblical language, but he was redefining what some of those words meant. And it's, it can be incredibly confusing, especially if someone is sitting in the pew assuming that their pastor or whoever this speaker is, is operating from the same fundamental place and, and operating out of the same core essential. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, I think the, the challenge, many false gospels, and then also, uh, I'd say, um, you mentioned like Michael Horton. I think uh, one of Michael Horton's famous phrases is that the modern day church, the struggle is um, uh, therapeutic uh, deism is kind of uh, yes. uh, one major challenge to the church. And I think that one of the things that we can see is that not only are false gospels, but also like an entertaining gospel where um, scripture is minimized and um, the gospel and the sermon are minimized. Um, to the neglect um, and then elevation of maybe entertainment. So there's an entertainment culture within our church, uh, or within the modern church, I think there's also neglect yeah. as well. So there's many different, uh, so in line of that, there are many different false gospels that are being taught. Uh, sometimes they're subtle, sometimes they're more outspoken. But do you have any advice uh, for the listeners on how they can guard themselves against uh, this false teaching? Um, yeah, you are so right about that, by the way. There, there are so many different movements different iterations of false gospels that are coming in the church, and it can feel overwhelming for the average churchgoer, I think. I know it does for me. It's just you've got a new false idea coming in from every side all the time, and it can leave you just feeling frustrated, like, how do we keep on track? How do we stay the course when there are so many different flavors of false ideas coming in? And I think that the most important thing that we can do as Christians is to know the real thing like the back of our hand. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's this old preacher story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I hear preachers say this, and it's a great metaphor, though. It works either way, whether or not it's true in real life or not. But I've heard that FBI agents are trained to spot counterfeit money, but not by studying what the counterfeits look like, but by studying the real thing. So they're handling real money, they're looking at it, they're smelling it, they're they're memorizing what it looks like and how it feels and the texture of the paper and the ink and everything, so that when a counterfeit, no matter where it's coming from, when that counterfeit comes across their desk, 
they instantly recognize it. And so I think we really can apply that to Christianity and to the gospel. We have to be vigilant to be biblically literate because so often some of these false gospels that are coming in that use scripture. I mean, Satan did that in, in the, in the Bible when he was tempting Jesus, when he was tempting Eve, it all had to do with the word of God. Has God really said? And then when he's tempting Jesus, he's quoting scripture to Jesus. So, so we have to know our Bibles because when people come along and want to twist those things or misquote those things, we will have better ammunition against what they're doing because so often these false ideas will take a verse out of context, they'll use it in a different context, and if you don't already know the context within which that verse uh, is written and exists, it's so easy to be tricked because you can pluck something out of its context and make it into something else. And so I think being biblically literate is number one. Number two, pursue God. This isn't just an intellectual head game. You know, read your Bible, pray, ask the Holy Spirit to to keep you on track. And, and it's I, I think knowing the real thing is the most important thing that, that Christians can do. You don't actually have to study all the false movements and all the false gospels if you just know the real thing really well. And I think, too, adding to that, I think one of the things that is, would be helpful is that hopefully from conversations like this and from reading your book, that it sparks an interest in apologetics. So um, not obvi- obviously not everyone is going to be interested in apologetics, but uh, as you're studying the gospel and you start hearing of various distortions within our culture, and you see oftentimes a lot of the famous TV pastors are um, ones who are committing these uh, distortions of the gospel, then maybe it'll interest you and spark your interest in apologetics, kind of like, Mm. Uh, sounds like it was your story, and then um, then reading this book kind of just furthers that along, and then you're passionate, and you're able to help others or those who are around you as well. Yeah, absolutely, and that's you're so right. Like some of the main voices, I get depressed every time I go on and look at the iTunes podcast charts or the best-selling you know books in the Christian genre. Exactly. It's depressing. There's a lot of false gospels right there in the top five, and, and I don't think most Christians realize that. I think we have had the privilege of living in a country where we have freedom of religion, we've been able to live out our faith, we've been able to, to, you know, people can say whatever they want, and it's not really all that difficult or dangerous to be a Christian. I mean, that may change, but at this point, we've had it pretty good, and so I think it's made us a little bit fat and happy, and we just sort of take in whatever came at us, as long as it says it's Christian, and we just, the church, as a church, individual people in the pews, we have to do better than that. We have to be discerning and measure everything, no matter how popular it is, no matter how uh, high on the charts it is, or how many books it's sold, we have to measure all of that stuff against Scripture, and like you said, study apologetics. We are no longer living in a culture where you can just go up to an atheist and say, hey, the Bible says this. Because the atheist isn't going to believe the Bible is the Word of God. We need to know why we believe what we believe so that we can help remove some of those obstacles that people have uh, to even being able to see the gospel. Absolutely. I always refer, when, when speaking to my apologetic students, I always tell them, apologetics, uh, um, you cannot reason a person into salvation, but it removes the fog so that the gospel can be clearly heard. And Amen, yes. One of the things I do with them that I think is helpful in, in relation to apologetics is that we uh, will we'll bring out some popular Christian music. And um, I know you've been in the music field as well. And then my mentor, uh, his wife, was in Point of Grace, and she's been in the music world as well. And 
so we we bring out mo- a lot of modern day Christian worship music, and we'll just examine it and be like, does yeah. it align with um, the gospel message or historic Christianity? And then we'll start yeah. uh, asking the question: Is this then good? Is this good to listen to? Is this bad to listen to? Um, should we guard ourselves against this? So there's a lot of different ways, and it's not just reading apologetics books. But just like you're saying, it's coming at us not just from the pulpit, but from books and the bookstores, but also even in music. A lot of people don't realize that's that right. as well. Yes, that's right. That's right. Music these days is, uh, and, you know, and I'll just be honest. I, you know, I spent the better part of the decade as a part of a Christian recording group. Uh, I was in Zoe Girl. And I look back at some of our music and I cringe at some of our lyrics. I just, <laughs> oh, I just, I'm thankful for God's grace and I pray that people were discerning because now that we do have some great lyrics, but even recently I sat down with the girls and we all kind of picked our most cringy song lyrically and we're just, we're just like, I can't believe that we put this out into the world. It's <laughs> so theologically bad. And, um, you know, so there were a few, a few of those. I think for the most part we did okay, but we were, we were so young. And, and I think that's the thing too is, um, from experience, I think that Christian musicians really need to be discipled in God's Word because what's Absolutely. in your heart is going to flow out onto the page. That's what you're going to be singing about. And I think what we're seeing is just a real, um, the word would be like ambiguity. Is coming out in the lyrics. I'm not. I hey, I love a good water metaphor. I'm not against songs being poetic, and but but it seems like there's just this real vagueness coming into our music where we're not clear about who we think God is and what our purpose is in worshiping Him. And so, yeah, I'm, I my, I have a heart for worship leaders because I am one. And it's a tough it's a tough job to have right now. And so we need to be praying that God will raise up songwriters that will write some theologically rich songs that we can sing in our churches to help remind us of the gospel. So I always try to toss in one fun question at the end. And um, okay. so whenever you're not writing music or writing books or uh, doing your podcast, uh, what do you do for fun? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I have, okay, so this is probably not going to sound like fun to most people. <laughs> people are going to hear this and go, that's fun. But I, throughout the process of writing this book, God gave me this gift, and it's running. I know how weird that sounds, but I fell in love with running. So I, one of my favorite things to do is to go out to this trail by my house, and my knee doesn't let me do too much, but you know, I can get a mile or two in before my knee starts to hurt. And I, it is just magical for me. So I love to do that. I love to cook, and uh, I haven't gotten to do a whole lot of that lately, but... Uh, yeah, so I think running and, and I just, I love doing things in the home. You know, I love decorating. I've just put up my fall decorations and cooking and making a warm atmosphere for my kids and my family. <laughs> so I know I'm a real wild part party animal, but that's what I do for fun. <laughs> Amen. Well, it has been a joy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time uh, to join us today. Absolutely, Adam. Thanks so much for having me.